We are looking at uh, the book of Philippians in this series. I love to go through books of the Bible. Uh, specifically, Philippians is what's known as a pastoral epistle. It's a letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. So you have Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Those are all letters written by Paul to local churches. And I love the epistles because they're short uh, but, but power-packed. Uh, Paul gives lots of instruction, practical ways to live out our faith, and it's no different uh, with Philippians. We call this series Find Joy. Here's why. One of the primary themes of the book of Philippians is joy. And Paul writes about joy while in prison writing to Christians who are experiencing persecution. Come on, if somebody in prison can find joy, you can find joy. Come on, somebody. If he's writing to Christians in persecution who can have joy, you can have joy when your coworker gets on your nerves. Come on, somebody. That, that this whole idea of how do we find joy that's not circumstantial, not conditional, but something that's much deeper. In fact, I love in Nehemiah, it says this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That there's something deeper where we can find a joy in God. So we're talking about that in this series, and it's going to be no different today. It is summertime. It is a lot of, I was talking uh, even before service with someone about traveling and you know, lots of vacations and travel happening in the summertime. I was reminded back at spring break time, uh, Christina had taken the kids uh, out of town for a few days. Uh, I was back uh, home, uh, had to do some work, and I was back with our, our puppy as well at that time. We had just had kind of a few weeks. And anyways, uh, if you don't know, we have three kids. Uh, and a puppy. So the Burroughs household has a lot of energy, uh, a lot of volume, a lot of excitement. And uh, the party gets going pretty early in the Burroughs household. Uh, so needless to say, when, they, when the kids were out of the house, in the mornings, like when they were gone, it was like peaceful. Come on, somebody. It was quiet. And I was like, this is kind of nice. <laughs> like it was quiet and that night, I remember watching like a Netflix show. Like, oh, this is quiet. The house is quiet. I'm going to bed. It's like nice. It was nice for about one day. But by day two, I was missing my family hard. I was like, man, there's just something about like it lacks the energy. I'm used to this. I'm used to the laughter and the joy and the volume in our households. And for, uh, for our family, we have more joy when we're together. Um, there's lots of energy, so there's also some, some sibling rivalry energy, come on, but there's lots of joy. And I was thinking about life in general, that in general we experience more joy when we are together with other people. In fact, you think about this, the, the highs of life, right, whether it's a wedding or the birth of a child, like those things are celebrated better together with other people, Right? On the flip side, maybe you're, you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Those two are better to walk through together with other people. Maybe you get a promotion at work. You ever have this moment, you have a great day at work, like you want to tell somebody, right? Like you want somebody else to say, that's awesome, right? On the flip side, maybe you're mourning the fact that you didn't get into your school of choice or you didn't get that job. It's better to have somebody you can process with together. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul essentially talks about this idea of having what he calls complete joy. Which complete joy in the original Greek simply means joy to the fullest. 
like the most joy you could ever have. And he talks about it in the context that this complete joy is found in the context of community. Can I encourage us this morning? You nor I were designed to go through life alone. And that includes you, introvert, as well. Come on, somebody. Hey, I'm a fellow introvert. But listen, us introverts need people too. Can I get an amen? amen. I know you extroverts know that. You're like, I want like 50 people right now, all time. I'm married to one of you. I love, it. I love extroverts. <laughs> but we need people. You're called to go through this faith journey with other people. That life, in fact, one of our value statements at church is that we are better together. And we see this in the scriptures, and we're going to see that today and talk about how we can feel this complete joy, this joy to the fullest that Paul writes about. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, Father, we thank you today as we open it up, God, that we know that you're speaking, God. So we posture our hearts and our minds our spirits to receive what you have for us. And we just even say, Lord, uh, speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to dive in. We're going to read about eight scriptures and then uh, pull a few applications from this before we go today. Paul writes this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." If you're grateful that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, can you say amen? Amen. So Paul writes in Philippians 2, and he talks about this idea. Um, In fact, I kind of want to sum it up in a statement today. Is that we experience complete joy when we consider others. When we consider others, when we think about others. I want to give you three applications on how we can experience this joy to the fullest from this passage. Here's the first one if you're taking notes is that we must first form a Christ-centered identity. Form a Christ-centered identity. Paul talks about being united with Christ. He brings them back to their identity in Christ. It reminds me of Galatians 2.20. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Galatian church, that I have been crucified with Christ. It's I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It reminds you of what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when he said that the old is gone and the new is come. I am a new creation. You are a new creation. We are new creations in Christ. Aren't you grateful that the old is gone and the new is come? That our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You know, before I followed Jesus as a young man, um, by the way, just to be clear, Catalyst Church is a judgment-free zone. Come on, this is Planet Fitness for your spirit. Come on, somebody. 
We're going to put a lunk alarm in if you judge somebody. We're going to ring the alarm. No judgment, okay? Are we clear? So you can't judge me, okay? Before Jesus, before, well, let me say this. Your pastor likes to party, okay? Can we say that? Jesus liked to party, i.e., read the Gospels. Come on. He turned up at a party and turned H2O into Merlot. Come on, somebody. That's your Jesus, okay? Um, and, uh, but I didn't party in a godly way before Christ. I'll say it that way. And that led to me having some interaction with the boys in blue uh, or 5-0 uh, or police. Uh, I clearly have a good relationship with them now. They come to our church. Come on, somebody. <laughs> uh, I didn't always. Didn't always. So I got a misdemeanor. I won't tell you how many um, because it's irrelevant. Uh, it's all under the blood of Jesus, right? Judgment-free, judgment-free. And I'll never forget, I, I had to go to court for this misdemeanor that I had because I partied too hard. And uh, my lawyer, I was a little concerned because I was in my early 20s, and I thought to myself, and I was trained to be a child psychologist. I'm like, I'm going to have, like, who's going to hire a child psychologist with misdemeanor? And my, my lawyer was like, hey, don't worry. Like, I'm working it out with the courts so that in a certain number of years, you can get this this charge expunged from your record. I was like, what does expunge mean? They're like, essentially, that after a certain number of years, you can file to the courts to basically seal the record so that it's not accessible to federal or state courts. In some regards, it's like it never happened. I said, well, holla at your boy. I'm glad I hired you. So I learned this idea of how expungement works. Can I tell you this? Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all of your sins have been expunged. That, that in, in all of eternity, now when, when God sees you, he doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ Jesus. He doesn't see your pride. He sees Christ Jesus. He doesn't see your greed. He sees Christ Jesus. Aren't you grateful? For Christ Jesus. It's not due to your merit. It's not due to you being a good person. Can I encourage someone? You cannot be good enough to have your sin expunged. You need, I need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. It's not due to how integrous you are, how moral of a person you are. It's due to the fact that He came to the earth perfect and spotless. As we were singing about, the scripture calls a spotless Lamb of God, and He laid down His life for you and me so we could be saved we could have eternal life we could have right standing with God so we are no longer defined by those things we are as the Bible reminds us we are a new creation we are as Peter says a royal priesthood we all as Paul wrote we are co-heirs with Christ we are beloved children of God and Paul reminds us this is our identity can I encourage you as well? The Bible also says this. You ready for some more good news? All right, one person is. Some of y'all, you just want, I'll give you bad news if you want it, okay? Here's good news. The Bible says that when we confess our sins, God cleanses us of all unrighteousness. It gets better. Watch this. The Bible also says he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Meaning this, he doesn't even remember it anymore. He willingly chooses to forget your sin because of what Christ did. So can I encourage you? Listen, if God no longer holds your sin over your head, 
then why would we? If, if God is not, he, he, listen, God does not put shame on us. Through Christ Jesus, he took the shame off of us. So why should you feel shame over what you did? Can I encourage those of you who have been walking with God for a while? God not only has forgiven the sin you committed three years ago, he com- he's forgiven you of the sin you committed three hours ago this morning. Come on, somebody. When you were mad at your kids, come on, somebody. And you said some things you shouldn't have. Come on. Some things came out of your mouth on Rockville Pike that shouldn't have. Come on. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. Whether you don't know Christ or you've been walking with Christ for 30 years, you still need the grace of Jesus Christ. All, every one of us. So he tells them to be united with Christ because here's what was happening in Philippi. What was happening was there were factions. They were being divided across political lines. Does that sound familiar in 2023 America? They, they were saying some were for Caesar and some were against Caesar. They were dividing along cultural lines. Some of the Jews thought they were more superior because they were God's chosen people first. And some Gentiles, so there was separation along racial and cultural lines, separation across political lines. In Rome, there was great separation across class lines. So Paul is writing to them that we have a common identity in Christ. It reminds me of what Paul said in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male or female, for we are all one in Christ. Paul's not saying you're no longer a Jew or a Gentile. He's not saying if you become a follower of Christ, you're no longer a man or a woman. He's just saying, he's not He's just saying they're not the most important. So he's saying we submit all other identities to the identity we have in Christ. I was talking to my son this week about basketball. He's a big LeBron James fan and Steph Curry. Of course, I have to teach him about the real GOAT. Come on, somebody. His airness, all right. Uh, I said, son, you need to watch videos of Michael Jordan. He is and still is. There's one GOAT. Let's be clear. There's not multiple GOATs. There's the GOAT. Uh, and um, so we were talking about basketball, and it made me think about uh, the NBA All-Star game. We watched some of it together this past year, and he watched it several times over. And I love the All-Star game because you have the best players in the league, and they come together. And what's amazing is you have players who throughout the year and in the playoffs, like, fight each other, like, tooth and nail in the playoffs. But they play on the same team in the All-Star game. So LeBron James from the Lakers and Jokic from the Nuggets, they were on the same all-star team. They were duking it out in the playoffs. So watch this. Players who are opponents come together and lay down their team jerseys. They lay down their team identities, and they now work together. Like Jokic and James put on the same jersey and play together. Here's what Paul is saying. When we are part of the family of God, we lay down those other identities that define us and we pick up our identity in Christ and we operate as the family of God. It means that our identity in Christ is our number one identity. Listen, we are a follower of Jesus before you're a Democrat. You're a follower of Jesus before you're a Republican. You're a follower of Jesus before you're a member of the Green Party. Am I missing anybody else? I don't know. (laughs) That's about all I got. 
You're a follower of Jesus before you're white, before you're black, before you're Hispanic, before you're Asian. You're a follower of Jesus before you're a man or a woman. You're a follower of Jesus before your profession. You're a follower of Jesus before your socioeconomic status. You're a follower of Jesus before you are a member of your biological family. Can I get an amen? amen. That that's our primary identity. Every other identity doesn't mean that you're the color of your skin is insignificant. Can I just say this too? I think it's beautiful how God's body, the body of Christ, the church, is expressed through God's diversity. Can I get an amen? amen. It's beautiful when we come together in our diversity of expression, our diversity to come together under Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. Come on, we might have the different last name, but we family. We might have some different perspectives, but we family. So if I show up at your house unexpected, just so you know, we family. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Listen, if you grill this afternoon, holla at your boy, okay? We're family. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, don't be divided. We're, we're family. We, we must form a Christ-centered identity. Here's point number two. Is we then must hold a posture of humility. A posture of humility. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He said, whether selfish ambition, there's every evil thing. The proverb says this. That pride comes before the fall. That selfish ambition, that pride, it leads to destruction in our life. It leads, according to Scripture, to disorder in our life. And what does Paul use as the antidote to selfish ambition? Selfless humility. In fact, he says in Colossians, we have to put on humility. You know what that tells us? We're not naturally humble. Come on, somebody. It means we must put it on. Can I tell you practically what can help you with that? It's every morning when you pray. You know why? Here's what prayer does. Prayer reminds my heart that I am not God. He is. And the scriptures. Because you know when you read the Bible, I love this. You know the Bible actually reads you. <laughs> but all of a sudden it begins to speak to you and show you. You ever read a scripture? You've read it before. But all of a sudden when you read it, something else jumps out to you. It's like that one word, like, oh, that was for me. That's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, Jeremy, I want to work on that. <laughs> I want to work on that issue. I want to work on this area of your heart. When you, when you kind of posture yourself every day to put on humility. Paul writes this in a culture that they were, it was a very proud culture. Very selfish culture. Rome was very self-seeking. It was about me, myself, and I. It was all about that. And he, he's, here he's saying is, listen, in a very proud culture, we as the followers of Christ are called to put on humility. Can I say, I think to a degree in 2023 in America, we have a proud culture, a culture that's self-oriented. And we are called to put on humility. I love how C.S. Lewis defines humility. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not being consumed with your needs and your wants and what you need, but, but you're considering other people. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 5, 5. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. That scripture literally means that when you are humble, God will intervene in your situation and favor you. 
His hand will be upon you. On the contrary, when you're proud, it means God will intervene and he will hold you back. Sometimes we think it's the devil holding us back, but it's God out of our own safety because he knows that our pride will destroy us. But he favors, he puts grace upon, he blesses the humble. We see it all throughout the scriptures. God chose a humble Hebrew girl named Esther to become the queen of Persia. God chose a humble shepherd whose father overlooked him. Come on, David, right? His dad's like, you sure anyway you ain't want this one? You sure not this one? Not this one? Not this one? No, I want the, I want the short one. Come on, somebody. Come on, David. David is for all the short people out there. Come on, somebody. You need a verse? David. And he, he chose David. Listen, and David became the king of Israel. And from his lineage came Jesus. I love this. God chose an uneducated, humble fisherman named Peter to be the leader of his church. And God sent his son Jesus as a humble carpenter to save the world. God favors the humble. God blesses the humble. It reminded me of one of our children years ago. We were teaching sharing. Come on, we're still teaching sharing in our household. There are some adults that still haven't learned how to share. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and uh, we had one child in our house who, when people would come over to, to play, and they would play with, with their toys. When somebody else took their toys, they would grab the toy out of their hands and say, it's mine, ya. Not mine. It's mine, ya. Like, a little oomph into it. That's mine, ya's. So we had, to, we had to teach this child, you know, that no, in the Burroughs household, we share. In fact, even this week I had a conversation with my kids. I said, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we don't withhold things. And parents, have you experienced this? When you see your kids sharing, like it makes me want to bless my kids even more. I tell them that. Can I tell you, our Father in heaven is no different. When he sees you living a generous life, that's why all throughout the scripture it says, the generous will prosper, sow and you'll reap all throughout. That God will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing upon those who are generous. Why? Because God loves it when his children don't say, mind ya. But we're generous. We live open-handed. So we had to teach this. But you know what? If I'm honest with you, there are times... If I can just confess, I have a little bit of a mania mentality myself. Here's what it looks like. It's when I'll come home and I'm thinking about what I need and not really thinking about Christina's needs. It's when you, you show up to work and you're thinking about what can this workplace do for me and my career and my resume and not thinking about how can I bless my coworkers and my boss. It's coming to a church and just looking to the church of what can the church do for me? Instead of saying, how can I participate? How can I give? And just to be clear too, in the scripture in Acts chapter 2, it calls the church a fellowship. And the word for fellowship for the church is the word koinonia, which by its definition, it does not mean just we hang out together. It literally implies that we contribute to one another. Like the very essence of our relationship is we share, we're generous, we give of resource, we give of time, we serve, we love. That is how we're called to relate. 
It means that when we go home this afternoon, if you have a roommate, you're not just thinking about what my roommate needs to do or, or how they should, but you're thinking about how can I bless my roommate? The same with your spouse. How can I look to other people's interest and not just my own? Paul spoke further about this idea of being humble in Romans 12, 16 to the Roman church. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul writes this because in Rome there was this clear hierarchy. In fact, Roman guards, Roman soldiers were trained to only consider your own needs. So humility was not even near a value in Rome. Like, not at all. Like, no one honored humility. It's somewhat honored here in our culture, not at all in Rome. So Paul is saying to the church, we don't allow culture to be our standard, but we allow our biblical convictions to be our standard. And can I encourage us in 2023, the same is true. Can I get an amen? amen? We don't look to how we're supposed to respond to things in culture. We look to the word of God and be led by the spirit of God. And regardless of whatever self-seeking there might be in culture, we are called to be humble. In a culture that is consumed with consumption, you as a follower of Christ are called to be generous. In a culture that thinks of their own interests, we are called to think of other people's interests. In a culture that looks for how can I be served, we, as the Bible tells us of our Savior Jesus, we come to serve. But Paul says... Consider other people. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Welcome all people. Remind me, two weeks ago, uh, my two oldest were building like a, like a fort in our living room. Had blankets and different chairs and cushions. And all of a sudden, my, my youngest, Abigail, she comes to me and she says, kind of a little pucker lip. Looks so adorable. She said, Daddy, they're not letting me play with them. I said, girl, you can have whatever you want with that little pucker and lip. Come on, somebody. I said, who's hurt you? <laughs> so I go into my two oldest, and I say, why aren't you letting Abby play with you? And they said, because Abby messes up everything. She, she messes up the order that we have here. And I, I said, listen, we're, we're family. We, we, we don't just, like, kick people out because they mess up our order. They mess up our plans. Anybody else, you got someone in your life who messes up your plans? Come on, somebody. You got that coworker that when they come in your office, come on, they mess up your schedule. <laughs> we all have those people. Can I be honest? There are some people in my life that I have a hard time loving. And probably if you're honest, you do too. That coworker you find annoying, that family member, you know what I'm talking about? When you have a family gathering and you know they're going to get there at 3, so you make sure you leave by 245. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I don't want to see that joker. I love him. I just don't want to see him, right? Or, or it's, it's that neighbor that frustrates you. You try to avoid. Maybe it's a certain personality type. Maybe more aggressive personalities. Maybe more passive personalities. Maybe people with certain perspectives. You have a hard time loving. You have a hard time accepting. Listen, if that, this happens in church. If that gets left unchecked, then the church, we begin to look just like the culture. And we divide upon the same lines. And can I tell you, we as the body of Christ are called to live differently. Can I challenge you this week? Think of that person or type of person 
that you have a hard time loving, go out of your way to love them this week. Because love is not a feeling, love is a choice. Loving is a choice we make to say, I'm going to love them, I'm going to bless them this week, even though I'm going to bless that coworker, even though I wish they get fired. Come on, somebody. <laughs> hey, can I give us a challenge for us as a, as a corporate body, as the church here at Catalyst? Here's, here's one of a, a great things I think happening in our church. We have a strong sense of community. In fact, people who come from the outside to visit our church will tell me, friends of mine, and there's a strong sense of community and spiritual family, which I believe is biblical important. I love it. But here's the danger in a church like ours in that context. Is we can so much enjoy hanging out with each other that we can forget there are people who have not yet experienced the hope of Jesus Christ. That there are people who don't have the same sense of community and family. You know the body of Christ, the church, is called to be an ever-growing group of people. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost, <laughs> not just keep and maintain the comfortable. Come on, somebody. He, he came to make disciples of all nations, not just some people. And we as a church are called to continually be. So what's that mean? Can I just give you a practical encouragement when you're here on Sundays? Don't just talk to people you know. Introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. Because you don't know that person you introduce yourself, it could be their first time, and they could be walking through the hardest season of their life. And little do you know, you simply saying, you acknowledging them, you asking how they're doing, you saying your name can do so much for somebody. Many of you have been there where somebody that's acknowledging you is almost God reminding them, I love you. So while you're here, don't just talk to the people you know. Talk to some people you don't know. Introduce yourself. If you see somebody who looks like they don't know where they're going, kind of looking around, <laughs> right, thinking the, the, the door to the stairs is the door to the auditorium, I mean, offer to, to, hey, how are you doing? Is there any way I can help you? And help them find the auditorium. Go out of your way to serve them. Hey, you're in a community group. Invite somebody you meet into your community group. Invite someone onto your team because you never know what that can do for someone else. We are called to welcome and love all people. Can I get an amen? amen. So we need to form a Christ-centered identity. We need to hold a posture of humility. Here's the last one. is that we're called to love one another sacrificially. Paul says to the church, have the same mindset of Christ. Christ who emptied himself of his power and took on the form of a servant. Christ who was obedient even unto death so that we could have life. We're to have that same mindset. So we, we love each other and sacrifice for one another. Romans 12, 10, the Apostle Paul says this about love to the Roman church. He says, be devoted. That means be committed to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. To honor each other, to serve each other. It reminded me several years ago, I was a part of a church, kind of a church plant, and they were in a movie theater. And Christina and I were engaged to be married. And this older couple in their 60s were on the setup team. Come on, shout out to our setup team. Give it up for our setup team. Come on. And, and we, would, we were also there in the early, so we'd see them. They, like, loved each other. He was, like, flirting with her. I was like, come on now. Go ahead. <laughs> but they loved each other. They loved Jesus. The kids loved Jesus. The grandkids loved Jesus. 
And I said, I want to get to know them. So I asked them, I said, hey, can we buy you coffee and can I ask you a few questions? So we sat down with them. And I said, what's one piece of advice you give us? We're about to get married. You, you love each other. You love Jesus. Your grandkids love Jesus. Your kids love Jesus. What's the secret? Like, tell me a piece of advice. And the husband spoke up. He said, we try to outserve one another. He says, when you outserve each other, it's a win-win. I think that's a phenomenal principle to live by in your marriage. But can I take it further? I think it's a phenomenal principle for your whole family. I think it's a phenomenal principle, hey, if you're a leader for your organization. I think it's a phenomenal principle for the church of Jesus. That, listen, that what if we looked like we were, we were trying to outserve each other, out-honor one another, as Paul says. Can I take a moment and honor a couple of groups of people here today? Is that okay? I want to honor three groups of people in our church. Number one is our Catalyst Cares leadership team. Here's why. Last week, we had our largest and most impactful serve day we've had in the history of our church. And this team, and then we're going to clap for them, this team had been working for three months, put in hours upon hours, late night calls, emails, to all set up for this impactful day. Can we honor our Catalyst Cares team? It's amazing. I also want to honor our Catalyst Kids team. Our kids right now, man, the Burroughs family, the kids, they were fired up for church today. Uh, right now is summer blast. If you don't know, they have games and activities in the, in the kids' environment. And they were so excited for church. And I love this, that our kids' team have gone through planning and intentionality to not only make church fun for our kids, but they can also learn about the love of Jesus. In fact, even first service, there was a parent. I walked in, I, I, met, I was talking to them their second time here. And they said, we can't get our three-year-old to leave church. I said, come on, somebody. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, if you're a parent, you need to thank a kids team member today for making church so great for your kids. You really do. So grateful. And then lastly is a team that every Sunday, our, our services both here in Bethesda and those online, it could not happen without them. And you don't see them on this stage, but this church, it could not happen. And that is our production team. Can we give it up for our production team? They're incredible. We couldn't do what we do without them. They helped to make, it, make this worship experience each and every week. Um, all right. I gave a little bit of workout right there. Come on, somebody. Use some hand claps and <laughs> show honor. Paul said in Galatians 5, verse 13, he says, You, brothers, my brothers and sisters, so he's referring to the church. We're called to be free. But watch this. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says to the church that don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge the flesh. That word flesh, it doesn't mean sin. It means do not use your freedom just for your own benefit. Meaning don't just receive from God without giving and extending. Don't just receive the love of Christ without loving others as Christ loved. Don't receive the kindness of God without extending God's kindness to others. Don't receive the forgiveness of God 
without forgiving the people who've hurt you. Don't just receive God's service through Christ without serving others as Christ has served us. It reminded me when I was in college, the welcome session they had, the vice president of student affairs spoke. I'll never forget his speech because he said to us, he said, listen, all of you in this room, you've all been given different gifts and different talents. In the next several years, you're going to all experience a quality education. But you are not getting a quality education just to build a career. You're not getting a quality education just to build a platform for yourself, just to make money. He said, you've been given gifts and talents, and you're going to receive a quality education to go make a difference in the world around you. And can I tell you, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, church, you have been forgiven by Christ so you can forgive others. So when, when someone hurts you, And the culture around you says you should cut them out. You should cancel them. Don't forgive them. And you forgive, they get a taste of the love of Christ. When we love people like Christ did, sacrificially, generously, they experience the love of Christ. When we are kind, hey, listen, I believe the church of Jesus Christ, every church who professes Christ, should be the most loving and gracious and kind communities in a city. If you believe that, can you say amen? amen. Because we've received, we've received the, the greatest level of grace and love and kindness. It does not mean we don't stand on truth. And may I say this? Speaking the truth actually is love. Right? When's the last time you felt loved by someone telling you a lie? Just because it felt good. Right? Speaking the truth is love. Now, how you can share the truth can be unloving. Come on, somebody. Can I help somebody out too? God calls no one to be a mean Christian. Come on, somebody. You ever been a mean Christian? You're like, are you sure you know Jesus? <laughs> he don't make me mean. Can I tell you, if you met a mean Christian, that wasn't Jesus. That was just them being mean. That was them being, listen. We should be the most gracious, the most kind, the most loving, the most generous, the most sacrificial, the most service-oriented people. Listen, I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time. But we all should be a work in progress. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ, you never graduate from being a servant. Never. If he took the form of a servant, we should as well. So we go into work tomorrow. I'm not here just for my own benefit. I'm here to serve. When you go home tonight, to your family, to your roommate, you're here to serve. Hey, when you, you're a part of this church, hey, if Catalyst is your home church, you are a part of this church to serve people, not to merely receive. I don't say it to condemn anybody. I just say this is the way God's designed it. Let me give you one last scripture, John 13. Jesus tells his disciples, he just finished washing his disciples' feet. At the end of service, we're going to wash each other's feet today. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think feet are disgusting. I would never do that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm a work in progress, all right? We ain't doing no foot washing ceremony. If we do, I'm going to leave the room, okay? All right. Should have said that. But he washed feet. (laughs) So he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other 
just as I have just loved you, you should love each other. Watch this. Because your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. Not by how much scripture we know, and you should read your Bible. Not by how eloquently we pray, but you should pray. Not by how much we come to church, but you should gather with your church. But how well we love how, how much we're generous, how much we live with a servant's heart, how much we are show kindness to the world around us. We experience complete joy, as Paul speaks of, and we're considerate of other people, church. Can you bow your heads with me this morning?